Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company, a philanthropic community partner since 1922 and proud supporter of numerous community organizations. More information at smithville.com. And School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with Sarah Whitmire, News Bureau Chief for WFIU and WTIU. Today we're going to be talking about a, a scientific kind of, science fiction kind of topic, I guess, microchips. And microchips are being implanted into our skin and various in various places and for various reasons. Sounds like science fiction, but really it's becoming a reality. Uh, we're going to talk with two experts. Well, we're going to talk with two people who have a lot of opinions and a lot of expert <laughs> knowledge on the on the topics. Jennifer Jennifer Terrell is here. She is a lecturer at the IU School of Informatics and Computing, and Jacob Boss is a PhD candidate in the IU Department of Religious Studies. You can join us on the program at 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also email us at uh, news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Jennifer, Jacob, thanks for being here. This topic fascinates me. I think we're in for an interesting and rollicking hour of radio here. Oh, Pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting us. Thank yeah. You. Well, Jacob, where now you were talking before we got on the air about where you've just returned from. Yes. <laughs> I've just returned from the DEF CON conference in Las Vegas where thousands, tens of thousands of technologists were there talking about cutting edge technology and demonstrating some of the devices that they have implanted. Now, the conference mostly concerns information security, but mm -hmm. there was a subdivision of people who were interested in implants and biohacking. Okay, we're going to talk more about that in a minute. I want to—I do want to set the stage, though. We, we really did schedule this program for this week because the Wisconsin-based company, Three Square Markets, some people may have been reading about them this week. Mm -hmm. They actually gave employees an option to have a, a chip implanted into their hand. And many how many did it wind up being? It was yesterday or it was Was it August a couple 1st. dozen? People who ended up doing it? I thought it was around 50. Around okay. 50. Yeah. I think they have 80 employees wound up having these microchips implanted into their body so they could just wave their hand to get through security where they could get their stuff out of vending machines by waving their hand. They can log onto their computer by waving their hand instead of having to go, you know, all that much uh, deeper and grab something out of their pocket, you know. So... I don't know. This is a really interesting topic to me and somewhat creepy, as I've said before, <laughs> as we we started. So, um, Jacob, back to you know what you were talking about. I mean, the, there are a lot of other uses besides what this Wisconsin company has allowed, this technology company has allowed for their employees. Why are people doing this? RFID technology has been in use for decades. I think most people are familiar with its use to chip animals so that if your pet is lost, you can find it as long as someone scans the animal and finds the chip. This technology is also used for things such as theft prevention. Uh, libraries and uh, stores will use it to prevent books being taken out that haven't been properly checked out. Um, it's, uh, it's something that we're all familiar with and that we use it, but we may not be aware of it. Mm -hmm. Jennifer, so your, uh, just sort of the, your 60,000-foot view of this issue, and you know, in informatics, it's got to be an issue that's starting to, to be discussed a lot. Absolutely. Um, we talk about this. So I teach ethics and uh, information technology class, and this is something that we talk about. Not so much, um, we haven't yet talked about it in regards to three-square market or um, employers, but we've talked about it in terms of the benefit of putting uh, microchips in elderly patients with dementia and things like that. Um, and it always sparks a whole lot of debate mm -hmm. amongst my students. So I think that this is interesting on a number of levels and, mm -hmm. yes, to some extent <laughs> creepy. Um, but what I think is most important is that it opens up a conversation that we absolutely need to have. So Jacob and I were hanging out and uh, finding ourselves going in all kinds of directions, you know, mm -hmm. to talk about this. So. I think that my high-level opinion is, yeah, it's a, it's a cause for concern, but 
most importantly, it should be the, the open door for a conversation or several conversations. So, Jake, if you were talking about how this technology has been around, we've used it um, for our pets to know where they are. And so couldn't this company use these chips to know where their employees are? Isn't this an issue of privacy? Too? Well, it's not so much that we use it for our pets to know where they are, but rather if they get lost, to have identification information so that you can scan them and find out where home is. I think a lot of people are concerned that their movements will be tracked if they have these chips. But these chips that we're talking about do not have GPS capability. However, another device which most of us carry does our cell phones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so so we're talking about these microchips, but there are a lot of other things like things like your cell phones that people are getting implanted to. I mean, and for some for some things, these aren't for like a necessary purpose. This is for fun. I assume you saw a lot of that maybe in Vegas. Yes. Uh, I wanted to, to note how subtle actually so many of these implants are. Um, they, you can't pick people out of the crowd unless they have really dramatic alterations or implantations. Uh, so it wouldn't affect your normal social life, having one of these little chips, unless you told people about it. And then you get all kinds of reactions. But people do use enhancements and modifications for the purposes of beauty and self-expression. There are people who implant lights under their skin that light up in the presence of different kinds of technology. So the people that you could notice these implantations, these implants, what kinds of things did you see? Was it the lights or were there other, other kinds of implants? I was struck by how subtle okay. the implants yeah. were at the conference. There were some implants that lit up, say, in the presence of the kind of, of energy that a cell phone gives off. Uh, they would, the lights illuminate underneath the skin. And others provide a steady glow that's quite faint and so not available in normal lighting conditions, but say at a rave where it's dark or under black light, you would be able to see it. Mm -hmm. Is that dangerous? As far as I'm aware, um, studies of these kinds of devices, which are sheathed in uh, special uh, containers, uh, glass, I believe, that are intended not to react with the body, um, have been used in uh, animals for decades and are considered quite safe. So maybe you can talk about the process that you get one of these done because it's not like you can you, uh, you don't go to a doctor and, and do this. I'm assuming. Can either of you speak to that? Just say I want to get a light put in my hand. So to my knowledge, um, medical doctors don't do these procedures for several reasons. There are concerns about liability for body modification, and there's concerns about what the purpose of medicine is, is it to enhance the body or is it to bring the body back towards some status that we would call normal? Some data that we have from our producer, Angelo, says uh, how safe is the chip? Um, the device is only is FDA approved, dating back to 20, 2004, and the device is only inserted through licensed professionals, at least the, what was used by Three Square Market. So. Yes, most people go to licensed body piercers to have these inserted. If it's the microchip. Uh, or other kinds of small devices. Okay. All right. This is our topic today. We're talking about microchipping uh, humans and the fact that a, a Wisconsin-based company, Three Square Market, um, did microchip about 50 of its employees earlier this week. It was all totally voluntary. And what that means and, and what this technology is meaning, if you want to join us on the program, give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also email us at news at indianapublicmedia.org or follow us on Twitter at noon, at noon edition. Jennifer, you were talking about elderly patients, and I, you know, I have heard this this issue in this debate. I mean, there are seems like we get a silver alert about every two days in the state. There are, are people who have dementia that do walk away and they're, they're no longer safe. And this is the reason that people might do that with elderly people, correct? Yes. Yeah. So uh, the common misconception is that there is GPS you know, um, capabilities in these. And so, of course, when people think about that, that's the number one thing is can I find uh, my loved one easily? However, um, there are... Other applications, not so much that you could find someone, but when someone was found and maybe not able to give the information about where they lived or who their doctor is or who their primary contact um, person is, that that information could be there. Mm -hmm. um, 
And people have a number of reactions to this in terms of whether they're in favor of it or not. Uh, I don't have extensive research on it, but my sort of colloquial understanding from the people that I've spoken with who are professionals who work with elderly with dementia say, absolutely, we would love this. Um, and there's a trade-off there, right? So the classic trade-off is that you're giving up some personal privacy for some security. And that's the, the trade-off that we're often talking about when we're giving up uh, privacy, is that we're giving it up in order to have security. For people with dementia, often they've already had to give up some personal privacy or some level of autonomy, right? Mm -hmm. So in some sense, it makes sense in those contexts. And you can make some very compelling arguments for the need and the benefits that outweigh the creepy factor or maybe the factor that you're thinking about whether or not it goes against your religious views or something like that. There are many different takes on it. In the case of what's happening perhaps um, with this company and putting chips in employees, it's not so much that it seems to me to be a need, right? This is a convenience thing. And so you're giving up privacy in a sense in order to be more efficient. Um, we kind of have this culture of efficiency in the labor force and there's, there's more things to worry about than just whether or not it's efficient and whether or not it tracks where you are through GPS. There's many other things to be concerned about. Um, for instance. Yeah. <laughs> so for instance. So um, what this chip would let you do, right, is open doors, is sign into computers, right, is to buy things. Um, this makes it much easier for people to do these things, but it also then um, enables employers to have access to the patterns that, pe that their laborers are, are creating. Now, the thing is, they already have access to that often through things like key fobs. Um, they check your password. They, if you're using a computer, most a lot of companies can have software installed that tracks your keystrokes and the way that you use your mouse. So they're already managing people in that way. And then using that data to sort of maximize efficiency, which is great for companies and management. It's not always great for workers and laborers. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is a, a new way to do that um, and should open up a conversation about how our technologies allow for employers to track us anyway, right? <laughs> even if we're not using the chip, even if we're using all mm -hmm. these other things in combination. I would hope Jacob. that the conversation being opened up by concerns around these microchips would do exactly that, would push us to consider all the ways in which we're already being tracked, all the ways in which our information is already being recorded, mm -hmm. all the ways in which efficiency culture is controlling the use of data around workers. Mm -hmm. and Go ahead. I was just going to say, and, and you know, we've had conversations. Fred Kate's been on our program before. He's a cybersecurity cyber expert. I've heard him talk several times. And he talks about how you know, if government said that we all had to carry around a GPS, we'd be outraged. But instead, right. we just voluntarily go out and pay for one and stick it in our pocket. Could you guys both kind of comment on that idea? We do. And I would argue that probably some, to some degree, most people don't know that that's what they're doing when they stick their phone in their pocket. Um, a lot of people don't understand that, that the GPS tracking is turned on. I remember the first time I learned about that, and I learned that I could go into my iPhone, and it would tell me the places I frequented most in town, and I had no idea that it was doing that. So I think um, you're right. It's just that it's, it's packaged in a way that's so compelling right? Like, I absolutely want my phone to track my bike ride for me so that I know how fast I went. And, and then it goes into my activity tracker so that I know how many calories I burned. And like, all of that is awesome. Until I realized I turned on my GPS and then, you know, right. who knows how, who all has access to that data that I just generated. It's a conversation about degrees. Mm -hmm. The phone is tracking us, but we can leave the phone behind. And the phone continues to report that we or it is at home, but we're off doing something else. A chip is far more invasive. Now, again, these RFID chips do not have GPS, but if people were to implant GPS in their bodies, it would be a whole new degree, mm -hmm. uh, one which I would have grave concerns about. Well, I mean, isn't, you talk about a matter of, of degree sometimes, I mean, isn't just a matter of time before people will be doing this or I mean if the, the, the ability is there already I mean uh, and, and I know there are a lot of people who are very concerned about you know government um, intrusion into their lives I could think of a, a place where you know someone who's um, 
convicted of a crime and gets home detention, rather than have that big bracelet on their ankle, they would actually be implanted you know, by the government with a GPS that would tell their every move. So this is really complicated, right? There's a danger in the mindset that it's only a matter of time. Because when we think about it that way, then we are giving up all of our agency and control. And we don't actually want to do that, right? We, we actually do have agency and control. And humans get to decide how technology is designed, how it's implemented, how it, you know, what happens with it. Um, but taking that control and taking that agency and actually exercising it is really challenging, right? So it involves people actually having to talk about these difficult things and sometimes take action in ways that people don't always want to be involved. So that's my first thought on that. Mm-hmm. I think that in terms of the, the degrees that Jacob's talking about, when we think about is it a matter of time, one of the problems with this is that it's potentially precedent setting, right? So maybe these RFID chips, mm, you know, not that bad in terms of security risks. But once we're getting used to the idea of implanting chips into our bodies, what other kinds of things do we implant? And there's always this trade-off, right? There's some that would be so compelling that, yeah, I'd rather have a chip than an ankle bracelet. Or, I, you know, if I'm diabetic, I'd rather have a chip that reads my blood glucose level and I don't have to prick myself multiple times a day, right? So those are pretty compelling. So it's super complicated. There are remarkable abilities that these implants can provide. Uh, for example, reading one's uh, health data and providing it to you in real time, such as blood glucose level. Yeah. The biohackers who I spoke with are very aware of the potential for abuses, and uh, hackers have, have been in the news a lot lately. What they do is they learn the rules and structures of systems in order to turn them to new ends. I think that they would be the first people looking for ways to subvert any attempt to track our movements in real time using implants. Well, you brought up, um, you know, we brought this up in terms of, of health uses. I mean, there's, there are variations of this technology happening right now, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know uh, a friend of mine who had some heart issues has some sort of a device implanted. You can see it under his skin. And if his heart goes into defib or something, I don't, I'm not sure of the proper terms, it's reported to his physician. I mean, it goes right directly to him. So we're already doing some of this. Yes, we are. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a cause for great privacy concern because who owns that data? Who is storing that data about his health? Who are they sharing it with? We need ferocious advocates for privacy in this uncharted area of implanted technology. And for informed consent. You know, does he have access to that data? Right. I mean, one of the big things that's difficult with the healthcare system is that a patient has to be their own advocate. So all this data gets generated and decisions get made about their health because of that data. Does that actual person have access to it? Do they have the knowledge? Do they have, you know, access in several different ways? J- Jacob, can you talk about just the re- the religious not implications? But I, I'm just thinking. I mean, we talked about this a little bit, but. My grandmother, who would die at the thought of something like this because it has this, historically, like the mark of the beast is what I've heard, what I learned. Um, just how how is this whole conversation even going to be regarded by the religious community? And is that going to be just, is that going to stop it in some ways, maybe from becoming widespread? Happy to comment on this. So the, the mark of the beast concerns some Christians. The term comes from the book of Revelation in the New Testament. And some Christian denominations will give a historical reading to the text, saying that it refers to events in the early days of Christianity, the destruction of the Jewish Second Temple, the economic and military dominance of the Roman Empire. Others will say that it refers to events that are ongoing or yet to come. And this mark is described as being variously in different English translations as being in or on the right hand and the forehead. So one of, the, one of the consequences of a literal reading is I actually know some cyborgs who have gotten implants in their left hand hmm. to ease the concerns of family members who are worried about the, the sign being in the right hand. Uh, and since it's a literal meaning, this offers some comfort to them. One of the characteristics, the key characteristics of the mark is that no one will be allowed to engage in commerce unless they have the mark. 
So I have to ask. So you actually used the word cyborg there, didn't you? Yes. <laughs> I mean, that that to me strikes of all sorts of science fiction and movies and films. Uh, you used it in just everyday language there as if it just rolled off the tongue. What, what's that mean to you? What, what, just define that in your usage. It's true. The terms tend to run into each other. Biohackers and cyborgs, enhanced humans, augmented people. The fusion of body and machinery creates a cyborg. Okay. So people who have implants now, people laugh about this, saying, oh, a little, a little tiny implant, does that really make you a cyborg? Again, it depends on where you want to draw the line. They have a piece of technology in their body. I'm satisfied with calling them a cyborg. Uh, Bob, my, my mentor would have called you a cyborg yeah. because you're wearing glasses. Oh. And so here's a, you know, a technology. Glasses yeah. are a technology that enhance uh, your abilities, right? Right. Um, right. And so there's um, one of the things that... that it's interesting about this is there's this tension of what has come before and the ways in which hmm, some of these things are really not that different and then the ways in which they actually are, mm-hmm. right? So cyborgness is something that people have been thinking about a lot. Um, and we could go all the way back to any enhancements that we use, mm-hmm. you know, to help ourselves, um, not just digital technology. It's interesting in talking about many of these enhancements because to me it's like who's in control on the other side of that. So when you're talking about the microchipping and you can use this to pay for things in the cafeteria, you can use this to log into your computer. Well, the reverse of that to me just seems, well, they can prevent me from buying that sandwich Mm -hmm. or from getting into my office. And I mean, I guess you would think that wouldn't happen, but certainly when you would quit, I guess that would be an easy way to terminate you. But then what happens? It's incredibly frustrating and worrying to have a credit card declined. I see them as being part of the same category, except, of course, the implant is more difficult to get rid of than, than the credit card and more difficult to replace. But the experience is similar, where you're trying to make a purchase using some device that's keyed to you, you know, not cash, that can just be free-floating out there. And I think that that ties back in an interesting way to ongoing concerns about what the mark might be. So. Uh, many things have been accused of being the mark. Uh, social security numbers were accused of being the mark of the beast. Credit cards were accused of being the mark of the beast. Um, universal product codes, so the, the barcode on every bit of grocery, every bit of clothing, anything you buy uh, that they scan to know what it is, that's also been accused of being the mark. And I think it speaks to, to larger anxieties about the role of commerce in our society and uh, the way in which we're corrupted by our engagement with economic activity. Well, and also participation, who, who gets to participate and whether or not you're marked as a participant or not, whether you're included or left out. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Our conversation today is about microchipping, and we've already been involved. We've already had some uh, religious discussion, ethical discussion, uh, commercial usage. Health. Health usage. It's uh, a wide-ranging conversation, and I hope you will join us after our short break. The phone numbers are 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also email us with your questions at news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiunews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each weekday afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org.
Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from the Herald Times, along with News Bureau Chief uh, for WFIU and WTIU, Sarah Whitmire. And we're talking with two guests today, Jennifer Terrell, who is a lecturer at the IU School of Informatics and Computing, Jacob Boss, a Ph.D. candidate at the IU Department of Religious Studies. We're talking about microchipping and uh, a lot of different angles to this Fascinating story. If you want to join us on the program, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also uh, follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition, or you can send questions to the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. We've been talking a lot about this Wisconsin company and um – how it can make make life easier in terms of things. But when we have things like the proximity card readers, how much how much is this really going to improve their lives and how much is it really about what's what could be next or pushing the envelope even further? The people who I know who are enthusiasts for this technology talk about the small enhancements that it makes, say to their personal security, one cyborg logs into his computer using his normal password, but then he also scans the chip in his hand to add an additional layer of security. Others find that it just makes getting in and out of their workplace because they're scatterbrained easier. They say that they constantly lose their keys. Uh, Others, uh, one cyborg who I interviewed talked about how he had done the implantation himself in order to have his motorcycle turn on um, without without needing to have his keys. I think... There's an interesting um, kind of parallel here. It's not a, a chip implant, but um, at Disney World, they now have the Magic Bands. Are you guys familiar with this? Where there's a similar chip in a bracelet that you put on, um, and it is everything that you need to be there. It is your key to your hotel room. It is your tickets to the park. It gets you on rides. You can buy everything with it. And when this was first introduced, Disney fans were against it because people are usually against change, right, and mm, don't like it. Um, and now it's several years in after it's been introduced, and people love it. They are so happy because it frees up all of their worries while they're there, right? They don't have to carry their wallet. If they want to leave all of their money in their hotel room where it's safe, they can. And it's wonderful for those guests, um, and, and it's very well lauded. Now, the privacy issues that could come of that were discussed. You know, for a few years ago, that was a thing that was being talked about. And many Disney fans said, you know, I'm well aware of the information I'm giving up, and if it means I have this better experience that I'm paying for, I am super happy with it, mm-hmm. right? So it's worked really well there. Now, that's not an implant. Again, that's a different degree. But it is a use of these chips um, and, and something I think, to think about. I think it's important to note that these chips differ in how much personally identifiable information is available. So the chips that we're talking about at the Wisconsin company just have a number that's known by their employer. And so when they scan it, the employer knows, okay, it's my employee. They can have access to the vending machine. If I tried to scan one of them, I would have no idea who they were or where they worked. Mm-hmm. Right now, though, that I guess, yeah, it, it's what's next, I guess, to some degree, too. Mm-hmm. And that's a very, I mean, the, the precedent-setting nature of it is quite a legitimate concern. Yeah. What happens if you quit? How do you, I mean, are you just on your own with that this chip in you? That was the first thing that I thought of. <laughs> yeah. Are they also offering free removal? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I wonder with any of these things, is that is that surgery then to get this thing out of you? Or could this be a way that you find out that you were fired, right? Like your access stops <laughs> and right. nobody's talked to you yet, but you can't get in the building and <laughs> you start to worry about it. All right. So we have a phone call. Let's go to Lisa from Bloomington. Lisa? Yes, hi. Hi. Go right ahead. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hi. Um, I was I was uh, wanting to know, uh, I, I, I have a lot of concerns about giving up privacy and autonomy for the sake of expediency, and um, I, I don't have a smartphone, I don't have any GPS in my car, things like that. Um, I feel like I'm trying to, to resist this trend. And I was wondering if there are other groups or organizations uh, who are together for the purpose of resisting this trend. I share those concerns about privacy and the need to protect our information. I think that's Mm -hmm. a great question. I'm not aware of any centralized resistance to the use of GPS technology. I'm not aware of that either. But that's really worth following up on. I'm, I'm really curious, though. How old is the car that you drive? 
25. 20, it's 25 years old? You're fine yeah. then. Because <laughs> I was thinking about all the new, I mean, maybe not tracking, but new cars keep track of so much information while you drive the computers in them that you don't yeah, so have any computer. control over. Yeah. I, I'm wondering if there is any sort of data on that just with people who are choosing to live away from all of this, but I feel like it is so deep and ingrained in so many different factions of our lives now. That's I'm sure point. someone is studying it. Yeah. That so many devices in our lives are tracking our activity. Our cars collect so much information, for example, our workplaces, our computers, mm-hmm. but that Microchips. What it is about? What is it about a microchip that sparks this conversation and causes so much concern? Uh, I think it's inevitable that if this practice becomes more common, more public vocal resistance to all forms of tracking will become um, much larger. All right, Lisa. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Uh huh. Our phone numbers again: eight one two eight five five zero eight one one here in Bloomington, or toll free at 1-877-285-9348 outside the Bloomington area. You can also email questions at news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. It does seem that um, there could be a lot of commercial usage for this going forward. This Wisconsin company, Three Square Market, is the first to sort of break in uh, in the news. I can imagine you were talked about the guy with the motorcycle. I can imagine at some point um, some forward-thinking car company will say, you know, instead of giving you a key fob or a key, we can just implant this chip into you. We have a person here on our staff that can do that. Have you heard of anything like that or do you anticipate those kinds of things that, that could happen going forward? I haven't heard of anything like that. Um, I <laughs> This reminds me of um, – we were talking about this the other day. Uh, Jacob and I were, but this reminds me of an episode of a TV show called Black Mirror, um, which uh, is a distressing show, I should disclaim. Um, But they have an episode where uh, people have implanted chips that recall all of their memories perfectly. So if you're at all interested in seeing a story about what might happen if we lived in that world, um, go check that out. (laughs) But I, I mean, with things like planting a key, you know, planting a chip that would act as a key, I could see many problems with that, right? Because how many people then have to get this chip so they could drive your car? It's pretty common that if I take my car on a road trip with three other friends, somebody else is going to drive, I hope, Mm -hmm. right? So we still would need keys. And I think I should note that the idea of receiving an implant from a corporation or any institution is the antithesis of the belief system of the hackers and biohackers who Mm -hmm. I interviewed who are interested in having as much control over the direction and use of technology in their bodies and lives as possible. Could, could you define hacking in the way that you're using it, um, which might be different from the way that many people imagine <coughs> hacking to be? Yes. So I think of hackers as people who learn the rules and systems of anything in order to redirect that, in order to uh, exploit it or change it to some other end. So biohackers are people who learn the function, systems, rules of the body in order to change it, uh, typically for the purposes of enhancement, um, such as combating aging and illness uh, or giving the human body new senses. So when, when we're talking about using hacking in the ways of health reasons or dementia. How do you even go about testing something like that if we don't really have a case where doctors are necessarily the ones doing this? I mean. I'm thinking about just our whole process now to get approval for something that goes through rigorous testing. Most of the people who I spoke with are experimenting on themselves. They're interested in a kind of citizen science. Mm -hmm. They're doing it in uh, co-work spaces that they fund together or garages. They see themselves as putting themselves at risk in order to advance a field that others aren't willing to invest in. It changes the no- the notion of authority of knowledge making of who gets to make these kinds of decisions and for biohackers they get to make the decisions they get to take on that autonomy and control and not leave it to the FDA or a doctor yeah or- can you guys say just a little bit more about that I'm, I'm just curious so you've got you know a, a biohacker who just has his own little you know, library. I mean, the, the Bloomington, great Bloomington story about Bill Cook in his, in his bathroom creating mm-hmm. these medical devices, uh, you know, back 50 years ago or however long it was. So it sounds like you're saying that there are biohackers who might be in their own 
home space, creating this implant and then implanting it into themselves. They are doing this currently. Uh, I heard a great story. It was often with unexpected results. I heard a great story from Tim Cannon, who's the uh, founder of Grindhouse Wetware, one of these companies that does this kind of biohacking. And he had implanted a device that tracked his biomedical information, his biometrics, and it was keyed into the temperature of his house. So the house would adjust its temperature in accordance with his temperature to keep things as comfortable as possible for him. Well, one day he went outside in winter to have smoke. And when he came back in, the house was an absolute sauna because it couldn't distinguish between him being outside for a smoke and him freezing in a snowbank. <laughs> okay, we have another phone call from this time. It's from Jerry from Bloomington. Go ahead. Uh, this is Jerry from Greencastle. Oh, Greencastle. Okay, I'm so sorry. That's all right. I was wondering what would be the response of these chips in an MRI situation. I wouldn't want it yanked out of my skin by the magnet. That's a great question. You'd have to let them know that you have one. Yeah. Right, yeah. So I'm not aware of one of these little chips that's in a shielded capsule going through an MRI. I've heard some people talking about it, saying that they're very, very small, they're shielded, it's not a problem. Uh, this is definitely an area but that needs more investigation. Are there magnetic components to them? You'll have to talk to an engineer. Yeah, we don't, yeah. we don't know. But. All right, we don't have an engineer on the show, Jerry. You're okay. But thanks for the question. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Oh. We're identifying a lot of questions here today. Yeah. yeah. So we've talked quite a bit about inserting these small chips like with a needle or something but some of these bigger things aren't people i mean literally they have to cut themselves open i'm assuming for for some of these other devices you were talking about right and that's the same sort of thing as bob was talking about just experimenting in your basement some of the devices require larger larger uh, apertures into the body to be inserted they're generally what's being done is being done with needles that can inject things under the skin generally Okay, but I was I was looking at some of these things on the internet where, um, like, why would they insert magnets into oh, the their magnets? Sleep? Honestly, the Ooh. magnets are so cool. But why? <laughs> why? What does? What is it? So yeah, what does that do? I, I I love what they can they can actually. So magnets are an example of sensory augmentation where they gain the ability to feel electromagnetic fields by implanting these magnets under their skin. And you can imagine this, uh, uh, part of this is about the, the biohacker's desire to explore what's possible, what can be added to human potential, how to, to add new senses, and to see things in the world that humans have never been able to see before, to see infrared, to feel electromagnetic waves, to experience the world through sonar and echolocation. They've been working on devices for all of this. Uh, but for safety reasons, if you were able to feel uh, electromagnetic fields, for you, f you would be able to avoid touching something that was electrified when it shouldn't be, for example, and avoid being electrocuted. I mean, how often does that happen in life, though, that oh. you need magnets implanted in your skin? <laughs> it would be very useful for specific professions. Okay. Well, that's true. Okay. And y you mentioned infrared? Yes. Okay. Did you see people who had actually had that? I didn't see anyone who was using the infrared drops at the convention, but there have been some news stories about people who are experimenting with infrared. Are these like eye drops you put in your eyes? Yes. Ooh. Can you talk a little bit about how, how that works? Or, I'm afraid I can't get into the, the technical details. Yeah, sure. I don't know how that works either. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you have questions for us today and we're talking about um, microchips being implanted, and we've gone uh, way beyond just simple microchips in a lot of ways. But you can give us a call um, at 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You know, a lot of this reminds me of reading comic books and superheroes and now movies. I mean, is there a correlation or a relationship between these two? There's a strong relationship mm -hmm. between these two. I think that many people who are engaged in biohacking now grew up watching science fiction films, reading science fiction books, reading comic books, playing role-playing games like Shadowrun, where you get to have these sort of sci-fi, cyborg, cyberpunk characters. And they are not going to be stopped by human limitations or what they're told human limitations are. They're going to find out for themselves. And the people who I spoke with were not at all shy in talking about the spiritual side of this, that it involves directing human evolution, seeking to become something new, to transform what it means to be human. 
they are developing abilities that were previously only for superheroes. Yeah, we, as, as social creatures, we develop this thing, we call it a technological imaginary or something like that. And it's deeply influenced by the media that we took in as kids, as Jacob is saying, but then it is also one of the fundamental parts of being a human being and developing yourself and identity and developing culture. Mm-hmm. And so um, technology has been so fundamental to that for our history, not just digital technology, but all technology, that it, it absolutely makes sense that this is the way that it works, that we see something imagined in Star Trek, and then when we think about what that thing might be in real life, when we actually make it, it's so deeply influenced by that imagination that that's what we create. Mm-hmm. You the, know. the people that I spoke with have no interest in giving corporations more access to our information. Their interest is in transforming what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. So Bob and I were talking before about does anybody in Bloomington do this? And we we couldn't think of anybody. But um, I'm wondering in other parts of the world, is this is this common or more common than it is here? You bring up an interesting point, and this is something that I asked the people who I spoke with. Uh, where else is this going on? Are you working with people outside of the English-speaking world? And the answer that I heard again and again was, this This is very much a new movement. This is mm-hmm. still in its infancy. We're just starting to develop funding for these things. And to their knowledge, it's constrained to, or at least the only people who they're talking to are other people in the English-speaking world. But it is it is going on in Europe and Australia and elsewhere. Is there a way to do some of these things when we're talking about the the way it could be used for health? Is is there a way that you see moving forward that we can we can do this safely and really explore it? Well, we have to uh, for the safety of medical devices, for example, um, insulin pumps and uh, heart regulation pacemakers. Uh, they're vulnerable. The more connected, the more sophisticated they become, the more vulnerable they become. It's absolutely necessary for the protection of people who need these devices, and I think this is an important distinction to make, those who are adding technology to their bodies for the purpose of improving their senses, those who need technology in their bodies in order to survive and can't choose. So we must continue researching for privacy and for security. It seems like there's almost this divide, though, because what you're saying is they don't want that at all, um, these cyborgs or cyberborgs um, they, they biohackers bio- cyborgs yeah. yeah they don't want the the government or corporations getting involved at all but in order to it seems like if we're talking about the potential of it that's what almost has to happen one of the things that hackers do is provide a kind of advisory role and governments are, are extremely divided on whether or not they want to employ hackers but hackers can identify vulnerabilities in systems including things like pacemakers in order to allow the medical companies to then correct those but there have to be clear channels of communication. Okay, so we're we're a long way from the Wisconsin-based um, company Three Square Market, but I'm just I'm I'm interested in a lot of other you know some of the areas that we're going down here. It, it just seems to me there's part of me that says why is it taking so long? You know, you think about um, creating, you think about uh, comic books, and you think about super superheroes and all that, and I just picture. You know, the U.S. military industrial complex trying to figure out in a, in a bunker somewhere, how do we create that human being that can run faster or jump higher? Well, I mean, they've been doing that for a long time. So mm-hmm. there's, you know, a history of the military <clears throat> developing um, psychedelic drugs and other kinds of, you know, drugs that alter your mindset so that you can jump Well, maybe not jump higher, but like you persist, right? Um, And we know that several drugs were developed by the military that were then released onto the streets, et cetera. Um, So I think that that project has existed, and the the type of technology that we're talking about just changes. Mm -hmm. I think that the other thing that's going on with that is that, yes, we can think about superheroes and comic books, and that's like the positive, yay, exciting side. But we've already mentioned how when we think about chipping, we also think about being... um, on home arrest, right? Mm -hmm. So we think about criminality. We also think about our pets. And so one of the arguments against putting a chip in a person is that you're treating them like you do your dog. And Mm -hmm. we aren't usually comfortable with that idea. Mm -hmm. So I think it takes a while because there actually is very strong ethical dilemma for a lot of people about whether or not you do this. Well, you know, we talked about um, elderly people with dementia, but I could imagine there, there might be a movement at some point if there isn't already toward chipping infants Mm -hmm. because parents are afraid that they could be, you know, kidnapped. And you see TV shows where a child will 
be captured by or will be rescued by police five years after they're kidnapped and they don't know who this kid is and and that again it makes it, there are pretty compelling arguments for an infant a child um, but at what point so those arguments usually revolve around autonomy right and the giving up autonomy for information or private um, security and so we're we're really comfortable with the idea that our infants don't have autonomy and we're pretty comfortable with the idea that our toddlers don't we're less comfortable with our school children than middle school. Like, at what point do human beings deserve to have autonomous control over these kinds of privacy issues? So the problem with children is that they grow up, right? And so then, like, are you okay with this adult having a chip left over from there being an infant? And it's important to note that we've slid from the RFID chip as it exists now, which does not have GPS tracking, right. to a GPS tracking. Well, but even without point. GPS, it would still be useful for, you know, a, a lost child, right? to to mm-hmm. know the contact information. Mm-hmm. That's like Bloomington Hospital has you wear those bands now after you have a child that they have one that matches two and they scan them to make sure the same kind of thing that Bob was saying, like mm-hmm. your baby doesn't end up in the wrong place or someone takes your baby or something. That's right. The, the function isn't new, but rather the location, moving it within the body instead of something that we wear. Mm-hmm. All right, we only have just a few more minutes. If you want to give us a call, you want to get in on this conversation, 812-855-0811 or toll-free 1-877-285-9348. Do you remember, Bob, you might, a, a few, it's been several years ago, but we did a show about IU doing this health survey. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. And they were actually going to require that employees did it as part of your insurance. You guys might remember from being here. But people got so upset because they said it was invading their privacy. So from what I've read about this Wisconsin place is that it is a tech place. So I'm wondering about just if we tried this with any other sector, if we tried to bring this to an IU, just how the conversation or the PR around that would have to change. I am definitely asking my students about this this fall, right? So, like, because I have students that forget their ID all the time when I ask them for an ID for an exam, and it blows my mind. Like, how how did you leave the house without your ID, right? For me, that doesn't make any sense, but it happens to them all the time. So I'm really curious what the reception will be. I don't don't know what they have to say. My students will definitely be debating this as well. Um, I also ask them to talk about what it is to live with anthropomorphic technologies, so robot pets Mm -hmm. or the idea that eventually we'll have human-shaped technology, androids that we interact with, you know, robot butlers and such. Mm -hmm. This might keep people from getting into bars underage, though. You know, they had to have this technology. Fake, fake IDs, <laughs> fake yeah. chips. Fake chips. Um, okay. yeah. Security I mean, and some, privacy are always some evolving. economic motivation to let people in bars, right? So yeah. um, it'd be interesting to see how that played out. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So honestly, I was surprised when both of you came in the studio and you don't look like your body's been hacked at all. And you, <laughs> and you said you had not. But is this something that, I mean, either of you, I just like your own opinions, just personally, is this something you would do? No. I would not put it. Uh, well, so here's an interesting thing. <laughs> yeah. I said that. I said that. Um, and so would I do it for work, for like the, the case of um, the three-square market? No. Um, but I, I am diabetic, and so I, I might do it for glucose levels, for blood glucose levels, maybe. Um, that's, to me, a lot more compelling, but I have to think about that for a while. Well, I'm just curious, what kind of questions would you be asking before you did it even for your glucose levels? So many questions. Like, who, like how, can I control who has access to the data? How do I do the interface? You know, how, um, how often does it happen? You know, that, I don't know. I haven't thought thoroughly prepared for if I was going to do that. But, but I've had this interesting turnaround in about 24 <laughs> hours of being like, no, I would never do this to like, ah, uh, that might be compelling enough. <laughs> right? So maybe. Thinking about how technology, pharmaceuticals, transform us or could carry us beyond conventional human experience has a long history. The term transhuman can be traced all the way back to Dante. And uh, I have absolutely no interest in compromising my privacy any more than I already have with something like a cell phone. So if I could direct the use of the chip, if I could decide when it comes in and comes out, on my own without using anyone else, yeah. if I could decide what it could do 
if I could add to it and take away from it at my own will, then I'm, I'm interested in using technology to enhance my experience. But if it's the proprietary property and if the information on it is the proprietary property of any institution, that I'm not interested in participating in. I think another slight example of this would be people that now get you know lenses implanted into their into their eyes so they can see better, right? I mean, that's, that's enhancing their human experience. Their eyes are not as good as they want them to be. And so now they're adding corrective lenses mm -hmm. in their, instead of glasses, like me as a cyborg, they actually put them in their eyes. My mother's had the procedure. And when she mm -hmm. did, I told her, oh, mom, you're a cyborg now before me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's interesting though, because both of you have mentioned, and your decision will be based on the privacy part of it. and. Not really so much of is this a good or bad thing to do. It's just more who's going to have access to this information. Yeah, I think it's, it's it's extremely difficult to say wholeheartedly is it a good thing or is it yeah. a bad thing. Um, that's not really an answerable question. And it, in some sense, trying to answer that question dis, um, discourages discussion. And so that's really important to have that discussion. People are engaging with this technology as part of their bodies in a manner that's of interest to religious scholars. They're using it to direct their experience, to help shape their understanding of the universe. I think that that's very interesting. But I do want to do it on my terms, just as biohackers do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I hope we've provoked a lot of thought and a lot of questions out there. And, and we've helped get this discussion going because it's a really interesting topic, at least interesting to me. I want to thank Jennifer Terrell and Jacob Boss for being here. Thank you. It was a, thank a great you. program. Thank you. And also, um, Sarah, of course, thank you for joining me today, as always. And Angelo Batista, our producer, and Mike Pashkash, our engineer. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu and Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company. Fiber Internet, HD and digital IPTV in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. <laughs>